Amen. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, and this is the biggest worship. You know that, right? If we don't know the word of God, we won't know how to worship. We don't know the word of what the word of God says. We won't know how to pray. It's all about the word of God. So it is very, this is the most important, this is the most important part of the, of the service. Not because I'm talking, but because it's the word of God. Amen? So I'll invite you to open up uh, your Bibles to Psalm 2. We are in the series, in the series of, um, I, you guys took it out of there. The, 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 the uh, staycation, right? Uh, but I told you, Pastor Dan also gave me the, uh, the freedom to, uh, to preach what, whatever I, the Lord led me to, to preach. And last week we talked about the sinfulness of man, and today we are going to talk God at war. Amen? God at war. Um, we're going to look at the, the war between God and, and the nations, God and the nations, uh, the war between God and sinful man, because there is a war going on. Now, I know that for some people, uh, for some people to hear that uh, the, the God is at war with man, it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's a, strange, a strange and difficult uh, uh, thing to see or to accept, right? Whenever we hear, I, 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 I love my brothers. They, they worry about me. They worry about me. And I don't want to leave it here because I'll make a mess. But the, what I was saying is that uh, when we hear uh, the, the, the words or when we make, a, 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 when we hear those words, God and war, is just, for some people, it makes them uncomfortable. It makes them uncomfortable, uh, that language of, of God and war. But that's the reality. That is a reality. Um, because of what we saw last week. Remember what we saw last week? Men is sinful. Men is sinful. And because man is sinful, his sinfulness, his condition of sinfulness, makes him an enemy of God. Makes him an enemy of God. And he's at war with God. He's at war with God. I know people out there, sometimes they, they say they pray to God. They pray to God or they're, they're you know, he's, he's my buddy. He's this. No, no, no. He's your enemy. He's your enemy. That's what the word of God says, right? Um, and if you don't think so, let's see what the word of God says to us. Because it's not what I think. It's not what I say. It's what the word of God says to us, right? So let's read. Let's read Psalm 2 so we could have it in our, in our, in our minds. Amen. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son today. I have, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the, the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. 
kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all, are all who take refuge in him. Let's bow in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. May it be only your word that speaks, Lord. None of me and all of you. There's nothing that I have to say, but it's your word that speaks to us. Let it be that, Lord. Not my thoughts, but what your word says. May the meditations, of, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this is a beautiful psalm. Uh, uh, and this is, this is a psalm, the psalm is, is an old hymn from the, from the Old Testament, right? Um, and, and it's a, a song that, that, that the people of Israel would, would sing. But uh, the, 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 the question is, what did this psalm have to do with, uh, with us or with the church? And that's what we want to see, right? And, and the war that's going on between God and the sinful man. And, and, and really, it's all the nations. It's all the world that, 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 that's at war with God. But before we get into that, before we see that, uh, we, we need to know some things uh, about us uh, to understand uh, what the passage has to do with us. Amen? So we need to see some things first that, that are very important. So go with me to uh, 1 Peter 2.9. 2, That's a beautiful scripture there. <clears throat> two nine. I'm sorry, five. No, it's, not, it's actually nine. It's actually nine. I mark my Bible all over the place, but it's, it's, it's nine. It says like this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who call you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's who we are in Christ. That's our identity, right? And so we're going to see, we need to understand that. We need to have that in mind so we could see how this, this psalm relates to us, right? We are the people of God. We are the chosen race. We are the royal priesthood and, the, and, and holy nation. We are the people of God, his own possession. Isn't that great? That, that's beautiful. That's, that's who we are in Christ. And because that's who we are in Christ, that, that this relates to us. Right? When the nations rage against God, when the world goes uh, against the Lord, uh, they cannot go up to his holy hill and take a hold of him, right? They can't. Why? He's a spirit. He doesn't have a body. So what do they do when they can't get to him? They go to the church. Those who represent him, those who identify with him, those who, speaks his word, who speak his words, they go against those. They go against those, those who identified it, identify that, right? And we see that, we see that, don't we? We see that, uh, that, that there's a spiritual war going on. We see it uh, ideologically, we see it philosophically, we see it all around us. And when we say, when we say that, we just don't, don't, we don't mean with the atheist, atheistic nations or with the Islamic nations, which they are at war with, with Christianity, but what we're talking about is here in the Christian West. In the Christian West where we live, 
We are seeing a, 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 a war, a war, a serious war raging on. We see it in the marketplace of ideas, raging strong. We are at war, and I hope you know that. We are at war. And we see it from the top. Politically, we see it from the top. As the Bible, as the biblical understanding of what is manhood, what is womanhood, when they're questioned. And they're just not only questioned, but they're being attacked. Amen? Yes, they are. And they just don't question. Again, they're, 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 they attack that. When some of the people in the, in, in the highest places, in the highest courts of, the, of our nation, of the land, people who make laws and pass laws, when they can't tell you what a woman is or what a man is, there's a war going on. There is a war going on. When they try to redefine what is marriage, when they try to redefine what is, what is sexuality, when they talk about all those things and they, and they, they, they define them, or what is, all, all of this stuff that is biblical, they, they make it, a, or they refer to it rather, as a mythology. That's what they're doing. And I don't know if you know, but in Canada already, they're, they're already saying that uh, saying that homosexuality is a sin. It's a crime. They can't say that anymore. And that's coming. That's coming. That's the war that's raging. That's the war that's raging. We come to a place where we don't believe anymore what the, the chromosomes, the chromosomes determine our sexuality. Chromosomes don't determine our sexuality anymore. When you want to find out, when you want to find out or you want to know if a five-year-old is a boy or a girl, you don't have to check the plumbing anymore. You don't have to check the plumbing anymore. You ask a question. You ask a question. And if what they say contradicts what the plumbing is, what the plumbing, what, what, what the plumbing says it is, you believe what they say and not what your eyes are seeing. You understand? And that is what we're facing, and that is the war that is raging on. That is the war that is raging on. Uh, not only that, but we see uh, as man wants his own uh, sovereignty. He wants his own independence. He wants his own autonomy. Many, many, man is seeking his authority, his own authority. Man is looking for, for authority. The only problem with that that there is none to be found. And you know why there's none to be found? Because all authority is given to Christ. All authority is given to Christ. And that's why Matthew 28, 18 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All belongs to Christ. All belongs to Christ. And so when Jesus says that, and then he gives us that mission. He gives us, he gives us that mission in the following verses. And let me, I got to read those verses to you because they're, they're, they're important. Uh, the following verses are 18 and 19 in Matthew 28. They say this. Go therefore and make disciples for, uh, of, of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Amen? That's our mission. The problem with that, the problem with that is that when we say that, when we say that, it just goes against what they want. 
Now, notice that it doesn't say, it doesn't say go and baptize people and bring them, bring those people to church so they could do church things, right? doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It says, go and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then teach them that they, they don't get to call their own shots. They don't get to call their own shots. That they don't have the right to redefine marriage. They don't have the rights to de- uh, redefine sexuality. But what is a man or what is a woman? They don't have those rights. All rights are given to him. They don't. It says, teach them this, that God is in Zion, and he has the authority. He says what goes. And that they have the obligation to bow the knee. They have the obligation to bow the knee before him and to obey, obey him. But again, listen, when we do that, when we do that, when we proclaim that, <clears throat> Psalm tells us what happened. Psalm, Psalm 2 tells us uh, what happened. And so let's look at this, this beautiful psalm. We're going we're gonna to break it down. We're going to break it down. And the psalm, uh, it's a song, so it has four movements. Uh, first, uh, four movements. That was four stanzas, if you will. Four stanzas. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful, it's beautiful, and, and it, gets, it gets divided into three, three, verse, three verses each, and we're going to see each of those uh, three stanzas, uh, and we're going to see if the, the first three, how, how it gives us the war between uh, God and the sinful, God and the sinful man, see, now, I hope you think, I hope you know that we, we, we are at war, and if you don't think that, if you think, listen to this, if you think that sinful man if you think that sinful men can coexist with God and that they, if they could see us to do whatever we need to do and proclaim the gospel, proclaim the gospel and be okay with it, you are sadly mistaken because it's not happening. That is not happening. They're not okay with it. They're not okay with it. Look at the first three verses. Look at the first three verses and we're going to see. I lost my. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointed, his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their courts from us. Do you see that? Do you see that? Do you see that, my brothers and sisters? That's like a child looking up defiantly and saying, you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. Right? And we know, we have, was talking to brother, to brother Joshua. And all the, those who have kids, we know that, that sometimes they look at us and they're like, I told you last week. <laughs> I told you last week, they're little, but they want to choke us. And we want to choke them too, right? We know that. But it's that way. It's like a kid looking up and defiantly and saying, you're not the boss of me. Nations rage. Listen, nations rage. People's plot. Kings set themselves. Rulers take counsel together. It's the whole world. It is the whole world. Yes, outside of the people of God, it's the whole world is against, uh, at war with God. But, but, but notice the word picture. Notice the word picture. 
the people of the world, it, 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 this is the picture, the people of the world is assembling against God, amassing, amassing their armies, armies, if you will, against God, preparing all their firepower and everything they got against God, right? And actually believing, actually believing that if they can amass enough power, if they can get all together with all their firepower, they can stamp them out. They can stamp them out. Yet they don't, yet they don't realize, right, that they are finite, finite men coming to fight against God himself. They don't realize that, but that's exactly what, this, what they're doing. And the truth is that it's, it's a fool's errand. It is a fool's errand because it is impossible to win. It is impossible to win because their armies, they have no chance. Their armies have no chance. Yet they try. And we see that. Yet they try and try. Now the question is, as crazy as it sounds, as crazy as it sounds, because that sounds crazy, right? That the peoples and the nations, they rage against God and they want to come and fight them. That's what they're doing. And as crazy as it sounds, why does man insist in warring against God? Why? Well, John 3.19 tells us why. It says, and this is the judgment. The light has come unto the world, and people love, this is why, the people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. They can't help it. They just can't help it. They love darkness. They love darkness and light infuriates them. Light infuriates them. They hate the light. They hate God. They hate God. And you may tell them, people out there, and they say, you hate God. And they say, no, I don't. I love him. No, they don't. They, they hate him. They're enemies of God. And we saw that last week. Ephesians 2, 1, uh, chapter 2, 1 to 3 tells us this. <clears throat> And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the, cur uh, the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were, here it is, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Do you see that? Enemies of God. Enemies of God. They love the darkness. They love their sin. And they hate the light. <clears throat> and they can't help it. They will continue to go at war with God. It is in their, it is in their nature. They can't help it. And it is the fallen nature of man to be at war, at war with God. Because that's what sin attracts all the time. And it would always be his nature. Listen to this. It will always be his nature to the bitter end. To the bitter end. Revelation 16.13. And I saw coming out of the worth of out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs for they are demonic spirits performing signs 
who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of the God of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who, who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assemble them at the place that is in Hebrew, that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Do you see that? To the bitter end. That is to the bitter end. They amassed to go to war with God. And now, we, we know that the New Testament, we know that the two, the New Testament, uh, in the New Testament, Israel, Israel didn't have the full picture. They didn't have the full picture to understand this psalm. They sang it, but they didn't have the full picture until Christ came, <clears throat> until the coming of Christ. And listen to what Acts 4.26 says. The, king of the, the kings of the earth set themselves and rulers gathered. Sounds familiar? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Do you see that? He's quoting, he's quoting Psalm 2. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, who you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever you hand and you plan and you plan had predestined to take place. Talking about Jesus. It's making a reference to Jesus. And that's not the only place in the New Testament. We see that, uh, we seen, we, we seen it, we seen that pointing to, to our Lord Jesus. But it's also, <clears throat> it's also in, uh, in other passages too that we see that. That is referring to Jesus. And so when the world is going uh, 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 warring against God, it's against God, it's against Christ, and it's against the body of Christ. It's against us. It's against the church, right? And that's the war we're seeing. That's the war we're seeing. And it's raging on, and it gets stronger. I don't know if you notice, but if you see the news and if you see, it's constantly raging, and it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. But we know that. But the victory is ours. Victory is ours. And we're going to see that. So let's go. That, that's the first movement. Let's go on to the second movement. The second movement of this hymn. And this is very important as well. Because in this second movement, God responds. But not, God responds, but not the way we would think that, that he will respond. Right? Because we have, here we have the picture. We, can't imagine, we, we could imagine this, uh, this picture. It's, uh, it's uh, uh, massive armies amassing for war. What the response supposed to be? What would the response be? And, and we could bring it into the personal, in, in, a, personal, uh, in a personal situation. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys ever been, but what is the... What is the thing when, when somebody comes at you like this? What is the normal thing to do? One person comes up, puts up his dukes. What is the other person supposed to do? Either he runs away. <laughs> either, if he's too big. If he's too big, either he runs away or he puts up his arms too, right? This is the beautiful thing. Not here. Not here. Verse 4. On Psalm 2, he who sits in heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision, in derision. Then he will speak to them in wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying. Now watch this. It, it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. 
We start with the Lord laughing. He's laughing at them, which that is a pretty terrifying thing. They come to war. They, they, bring, their, they bring their armies with everything they got. And the Lord looks at them, and he's laughing at them. That's terrifying. Terrifying, right? It is. The Lord's laughing at them. And, they, and then notice the second part of the verse. Then he will speak to them in his wrath, terrifying them in his fury. Now, what is this terrifying thing that God says to this sinful man in his wrath? Verse 6. As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. There it is. That is the terrifying thing. That is the terrifying thing. We bring our armies with everything we have, all the firepower we can muster to fight God. And he laughs and says, my king is in Zion. And that's the terrifying thing. God is not threatened. God is not threatened by the armies of men. He laughs at them. Psalm 37, 13 says, But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees, he sees that his day is coming. Psalm 58, 59, 8, But you, O Lord, laugh, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in the region, all the rebellion towards God. And that, that, I'm reading now my notes, like it was the verse, but it's not. What I was going to say, that all rebellion towards God is folly. All rebellion towards God is folly and foolishness. It's foolishness. Because ultimately, it's foolishness and folly. Or folly and foolishness. Because ultimately, ultimately, men will obey God whether willingly or unwillingly. There is no winning in this war. war. That's why God laughs at them. And he holds them in derision. God is not threatened by sinful man. He is not. Psalm 4010 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. You see that? You see that? He will be. And that is not optional. There is no question. There is no doubt. There is no doubt. He will be exalted. And, and we could read Philippians 2. Let's go, let's go there. Some I wrote, some I didn't because there are too many. But it, it, it's, it's beautiful to go into the Word of God, isn't it? It is beautiful to go into the Word of God. Philippians 2, 9 and 10 says this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Of God the Father. You see that? You see that? Everyone, like it or not, will bow. The knee will bow. The knee and every tongue. And that is not, that is, that is not in doubt. But yet, it doesn't matter how boldly, how boldly, how loudly we proclaim this. How constantly, we, or incessantly we proclaim this. Sinful man still thinks he could win the war. He still thinks he could win the war, and God, but God laughs at them, right? God laughs at, uh, laughs at them. And all of this, what we're talking about, is accomplished and will be accomplished by the king on Zion. It will be. 
And that is the picture. And what a picture it is, isn't it? The armies of the nations of the world gather against God. They come to this holy hill, and God says, you will fight my king, and only my king, and just him, my king. Now, it's not like the king is going to deploy some kind of, uh, of weapon to destroy the armies that we, that, that we see here, in a, in a physical sense, right? Because we're saying that this is a spiritual war. This is a spiritual war. This is not in the physical. <clears throat> but listen, the way that the king on Zion wins the war is ironic. That the idea of, and that's the idea that God's laughing at them and holds them in derision. And, and, and watch what I'm going to say. Collision, Colossians 2, 13 and 15. We got to go there. We got to go there. Colossians <clears throat> 2, 13 and 14 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and, in, and, and circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgive, forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of, of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. There it is. And put them to open shame by triumphing over them, over, over them in him. How, would, how do we win the battle? By the cross. <laughs> That's why I say it's ironic. They will fight my king and just my king. But how does he win the battle? How do we win the battle? It's through the cross. It's through the cross. Do you see that? That's how we win the battle. That's how we fight. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.8, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. Right? But it just doesn't make sense that they come to war, they come to war with God, uh, and he wins by the king dying on the hill. Isn't it amazing? That's how he wins the battle. By dying on the hill, right? That's exactly right, by dying on the hill. Verse 20 of the same, of the same chapter right here in, in, in 1 Colossians says this. Where is the one who, uh, I mean in, in 1 Corinthians 1, 18. <clears throat> it says, uh, where, is, where is the one who is wise? Where is, where, where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of, of the world? Like we said, it is a fool's errand going to war with God. It is a fool's errand going to war with God. And it's not only a fool's errand because you cannot defeat God, but it's a fool's errand because you are going to war with the one who actually is your only hope. He is the only hope for humanity. There is no other hope. But yet sinful man tries. <clears throat> He tries to go to war, and it's a fool's errand. But it's appropriate, right? Because sinful man is a fool. Sinful man is a fool. Now, we need to keep this in mind, brothers and sisters, what I'm just saying. Because our tendency, our tendency, when we see the armies coming against the church, and they're coming, constantly they're coming, that's the way they war against God, by coming against Christianity and the church. Our reaction is twofold. 
our reaction is twofold to that. We either say, they come and we see them and they say, well, they just, they just know how to organize well. They just know how to organize their, 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 their causes. If we just could organize ourselves like them, we could win. Don't we say that? If we could just scheme like they do, we could win. Right? Yes, we do say that. I've heard that. Or we go the other way. Or we go the other way. And this is almost basically the way the church says or, or, or goes in, in that direction. Let's be like them. Let's act like them. Let's talk like them. Let's look like them. Let's smell like them. So we could get in there, win them to our side. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. Our answer is our king. Our answer is on ki our king on Zion Hill. And that is the only answer. It's not looking like the world, smelling like the world. It's our king on Zion Hill. That's our answer. That's always, that's been our answer and will always be our answer. The king on Zion. Amen. Paul says, the weapons of our warfare, warfare are not carnal, but they're powerful. They destroy fortresses. Do you see that? And so our thoughts should always be, our thoughts should always be, regardless, brothers and sisters, regardless of what we see, because we see it. We see, it, we see the war raging. We do see it. But what we should say or what our thought is, God is in control. That's what our thought should be. God is in control. And whatever comes to pass does not threaten him. Whatever comes to pass does not threaten him. Amen? And this is the third movement. I'm already getting into the third movement. It does not threaten him, and that's why he laughs. It holds him in derision. Listen, because the outcome was never in doubt. The outcome was never in doubt. Hear this. It is not that the church is militant and hopefully triumphant. Amen? Did you get that? It's not that it's, it's hopefully triumphant. It is not that the church is militant and war-willing triumphant. The church will be triumphant. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We will, we will triumph. And that's why God laughs, because there, there, there's no doubt on the outcome. Amen. The king who sits, uh, who has been identified on Zion speaks. Verse 7. And listen to what he says. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son today. I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a, with a, with a rod of iron and dash them, with, dash, them, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. There's the frightening word, my brothers and sisters. And, and again, it's referencing here to, to Christ. If you read, we will not read it. We just mention it to you. If you read Hebrews 1, 3 to 5, tells us that. The author of Hebrews tells us that. And it's telling, it's telling us that this, this psalm, it, it refers to Jesus uh, as he presents himself as the Messiah and, and the Son of God. And so the nations are, uh, the nations are, are his birthright. They are his inheritance. And listen, and listen. This is so beautiful. 
because we are the means through which he claims these inheritance. Did you get that? We are the means. We are the means through which he claims this inheritance. <clears throat> How does that happen? How does that happen? When we preach the gospel. When we preach the gospel, right? We preach the gospel and men, women are saved and they get snatched out of the kingdom of darkness and brought in, into the kingdom of light. That's how we fight. And that's how his inheritance comes to be. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? That is beautiful. This should gives us confidence because we're constantly, listen, this should gives us confidence because we're constantly talking about bringing the gospel out there. And sometimes we get embarrassed. Sometimes we don't want to do it. Sometimes we just, we just like don't want to, don't want to peep, uh, 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 step on people's toes. I don't know, whatever it is. But we just don't do it. But this is how we win the war, by preaching the gospel. And it should give us confidence that there's never a question and the outcome is never in doubt. We will win. We will win. God will have his victory. Christ will have the fullness of his reward for which he died for. He will. He will. And we could be sure of that. And so we can preach the gospel confidently in faith, knowing that God saves his people through the foolishness of our preaching, through the foolishness of the cross, as Paul would, said, would say. Now, this is important, and I keep saying this is important. You know why I say, you know why preachers say this is important? Because we want you to pay attention. <laughs> we want to grab your attention. No, this is important. <laughs> as we preach the gospel, as we preach the gospel, there must be clarity on the gospel. Amen? This is very important. There must be clarity on what the gospel is. Because there's a lot of stuff out there. There is a lot of stuff out there that claims to be the gospel, and it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. It's a perverted gospel. The gospel is not that God wants to make you happy. That God wants to give you an abundant living. God, the gospel is not that God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. He has a wonderful purpose for your life. Now, some of these things may be true, but that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. The gospel begins, listen to me. The gospel begins with a holy God. The gospel begins with a holy God and us being sinners. That's where it begins. That's where it begins. That we are wicked sinners. And because of that sin, like we saw last week, because of that sin, that's why Romans 1.18 tells us this, that his wrath is real, God's wrath is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. And so because of that sin, we stand guilty before a holy God and a righteous God. And so God in his goodness, listen to this, God in his goodness and his, and his mercy sends forth his son, not being born out of ordinary uh, generation. You remember we talked about ordinary generation? It's, not, it's, not, it's the virgin, very, uh, virgin birth that counts. <clears throat> and we're not going to go back on that. But he comes forth, 
the son comes forward, and he's not born out of ordinary generations. And he lives a sinless life in his act of obedience. And then in his passive obedience, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And so he dies for our sin, the just for the unjust. And God imputes our sinfulness to him and nails our sinfulness to the cross. And he dies and rises on the third day for our justification. And in that, God imputes on us his righteousness. So God can be both the unjust, the just, I'm sorry, the just and the justifier for everyone, for everyone who places his faith on Jesus Christ. Did you get that? That is a beautiful picture. And that's what is the gospel. That's what is the gospel. And that's how people come to get saved. Amen? That's the truth that we should be preaching. That's the truth that we should be proclaiming. <clears throat> All the time. The problem with today is that we want to be so, so, so friendly. And there's nothing wrong with being friendly. But we must preach the truth. And the truth is not that God wants to make you happy. Because many times when we come to, when we come to, when we come to, 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 to Christ, our lives, our lives get worse. Maybe you, some of you have noticed that. You come to Christ and your life gets worse. The, the, the people that you relate with now, they don't want to relate with you. you even your family, even, even your family puts you to the side, right? So that God wants to make you happy, it is not the gospel. It is not the gospel. Now there is joy. There, and we're going to see that at, at the end. There is joy. There is joy in this. But we must proclaim the truth. And now part of the gospel too, part of the gospel too, listen to me. Part of the gospel too, it, 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 it's, 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 it's warning men of the coming wrath. And that's another thing. That's another thing that we, don't, that we don't proclaim. We don't proclaim the judgment. And remember what I said, remember what I said that last week? Listen to me. The worst threat for mankind... It's not the devil. The worst threat for mankind is God. Is the wrath of God. Is the judgment of God upon the sinful man. And that's why we warn him about that, the judgment. Because the Bible tells us that we should not fear those who could kill the body. We should fear him. There's a storm coming. And that's what we should tell sinful men. There's a storm coming. There's judgment coming. There's wrath coming. But there is hope. There's wonderful hope in Christ, right? And that's why we could proclaim that. And we can't, we can't leave that. We can't leave that to the side. That's part of the gospel. That is part of the gospel that we should preach. Revelation 2:27. He will rule them, here it is, he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when, and when earthen pots are broken and, and in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father, uh, Christ speaking. Revelation 12, 5, she gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule, one who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to, the, to God and to his throne. Revelations 19.15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the, fury, of, of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Amen. You see that? Those are fighting words. 
Those are fighting words. So we warn men of judgment to come. And that leaves us with the final movement. Leaves us with the final movement. And it's this. The sinful man has only one hope. Sinful man has only one hope. And that is repentance. That is repentance. And if he doesn't repent, if he doesn't repent, his war of God, his war with God <clears throat> will take him to be, uh, well, will end in him being smashed by the rod of iron, as we saw. All the nations, the rage war against God will bow before God. And we, rule, we will be ruled by God. And that's, that's a given. They have no hope. They have no hope of victory. There is only one hope. And again, that's repentance. Verses, uh, the, the verses on Psalm 10 to 12 uh, is the last movement. And it's this. Therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. All rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. What a phrase. What a statement. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. That's a beautiful picture, right? What a beautiful picture. Our God is an awesome and terrible God, and yet we rejoice in him. Verse 12, kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Well, we end, we end exactly opposite place from where we started, from where we began. We began with all the nations raging and trying to break themselves from free from, his, from, from the bonds, right? <clears throat> and then he ends with, blessed are those who take refuge in him. There's only two choices. There's only two choices. We can amass ourselves with the, with the armies of, of the world that are at war with God, or we can take refuge in him. We could take refuge in the, in the king, in his holy hill. There is no middle ground. There is no middle ground, if you will, or there is no neutral ground, if you will. Amen? No one is neutral. No one is neutral. It's either one side, you're either, you're either an enemy, or you're one of his. No one is neutral in the battle. Because before we came to, we, before we came to Christ, how were we? We were driving a tank up to the hill. I don't care who you were. We were driving a tank to the hill to attack, to attack, to attack a, a, a God, right? <clears throat> and then the gospel came and snatched you, and you were saved. That's beautiful. He rescued you. He rescued us. And so there is no refuge from him. There is no refuge from him. Only in him. Amen? Only in him. Praise the Lord. Now listen. How many of us uh, coming to Christ, uh, how many of us before we came to Christ, we were resisting. We were resisting. Before uh, we came to Christ, we, we were resisting. Uh, because we believed, and I talk to people, and especially young people, especially young people, uh, they believe that they, they're, they're being robbed. And, and, and they're being robbed of their, of their, of their liberty. Uh, they're being robbed of something that they wanted, uh, that, that, that God wanted to take their joy from them or from us. We were all that way. That he wanted to take their freedom and their liberty. That he wanted to take the rest and their peace away from them. 
only to come to faith in Christ and find that he was the only peace. He was the only freedom that we could get because we were slaves to sin. Amen? So the reality is that we come and, and sometimes people come and they just don't want to come because it's like they're taking their joy and their peace away. But is that they're enslaved and they're in misery and they don't even know it. They're in misery. There is no peace without God. There is no peace without God. And so they thought that, 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 that he was going to take their peace and their rest. <clears throat> and, and, and actually there was war within, within all of us, right? There was no freedom. There's, there's no freedom before we came to Christ. They don't even know. They don't even know. We didn't even know what joy was. And even as we look back in our lives, many times I, I, I speak to people and, I, and we talk and we say, man, you look back at your life and you say, man, what a fool. What a fool I was. Because I was running away, actually. We were running away and we were warring against the only one that could give, could, could give us peace, could give us freedom. And we were enslaved. And we were enslaved. And so that's why it was a full, it, it, it is and it was a full errand for us. And then we were warring with God. And we'll finish with this. Revelation 118. This sort of sums it up. And we'll finish with that. 11, 11, 18. The nations rage, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and, and for rewarding your saints, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Do you see that? Victory is ours. Victory is ours. Should we, so we should proclaim the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation. And we should be confident on that. We should be confident. Victory is ours. We could see whatever ha whatever's happening in the world. It shouldn't face us. It shouldn't face us. Because victory is not in doubt. We're going to be victorious. We are going to be victorious. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your word. Help us to live in light of that, Lord. Help us to proclaim, and not only proclaim, but to live the gospel the way you want us to live, the way you want us to proclaim. There is so much lies out there. There's so much perversion of religion of all kinds of stuff, but help us to be faithful to your word. Help us to be faithful to your word. Help us to stand firm on what your word says, Lord, on your truth, and none move from that. Give us courage. Oh, Lord, give us boldness to preach this, this gospel, and again, to live it too. And not just, not just to preach it to, to others, but for us, preach it to our own selves, Lord, because we need it. 
We need it. We slip and fall. We slip and fall. We're still sinful. We're still dealing with all of that, with, with that residue of the flesh, Lord. So give us strength. Help us. Help us to be faithful to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.